Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is July the 10th, 2020. And as always, it is a thrill to join you. I hope you're all doing well. I uh, hope that this past 4th of July uh, weekend was an excellent one for you and your family. Uh, we're living in turbulent times uh, to make an understatement out of the mess that we're in. But we have got to be confident that America has suffered quite a bit since its founding, uh, and we will rise to the occasion. Hopefully, we will, as Americans, find much more that unites us than divides us. This divide-and-conquer strategy being used by the radicals, by the enemies of our country, um, is raising lots of questions, and it should get Americans to really focus on what makes us most similar. I've had the privilege of traveling across this amazing country as they uh, used to say on the old Lou Dobbs show, from coast to coast and border to border. And what has always stuck out in my mind, whether I was in Hawaii or Minnesota, Montana or Arizona, Florida, you name it, I've been there, is that when you sit down for dinner, just about everybody has common concerns, common interests, and common goals. We want our military to keep our nation Uh, as safe as possible from our foreign enemies. We want law enforcement to keep our streets safe. Yes, that's right. That's what the cops are there for, folks. And we want the schools to educate our children. And my program, as you know, has always been about trying to get people to wake up to the significance uh, more narrowly on immigration law enforcement. But given the current circumstances, we really need to think about law enforcement in general and how important it is. Laws without enforcement, human laws, man's laws, legislated laws, are meaningless. The laws of nature, as I've said before, are immutable. The speed of light and all the other constants of the universe are not determined by somebody with a badge and a radar detector, a summons book, and perhaps handcuffs. The laws of nature are the laws of nature. They are the rules that govern the universe. But when we get down to the human scale, with all of our failings, it's the law enforcement officers on all levels who give meaning to our laws. You know, it's remarkable that whenever there's a problem, the so-called lawmakers, the legislators, whether it's on the city, state, or federal level, will jump up and say, we need a new law. Very often the laws that are already on the books that we just find if we had enough people enforcing the laws and if we showed the proper support to those who do that dangerous, vital work. That so-called thin blue line is all that stands between society and chaos. Many people are honest and decent, but as my dad used to say, locks are for honest people. Tragically, and I saw it up close in a person during my 30-year career with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, There are some truly evil people who are out there. And uh, it's not limited to a race or religion or ethnicity because, folks, human nature is human nature. Every Every race, every religion, every ethnicity, every nationality has what I have come to call the good, the bad, and the ugly. But the people who want to destroy America today are focused on the founding of our country. And, in fact, the New York Times doing such a disservice to America. You know, if you go to the New York Times, you will see that they have a slogan on their masthead, all the news that's fit to print. Wow. I personally think it needs to be changed, and I would suggest that they change it with the phrase, you'll have a fit from what we print. They have a program called the 1619 Project at the New York Times. And for those of you not familiar with it, I want to talk a little bit about the 1619 Project today. 
In August of 1619, history books reflect that on that day, a ship arrived in Virginia, the British colony of Virginia, with the first slaves to be brought to the New World. And the New York Times position is that because of that, America is a fatally flawed nation that can never seek redemption. You know, it's remarkable. But we do not hold children responsible for the crimes of their parents. We certainly don't hold grandchildren responsible or great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren responsible. Furthermore, many people uh, who are living in this country today did not come to America during that dreadful era of slavery, nor did their parents or their families. Uh, First generation, second generation, third generation Americans came here after slavery was outlawed. Slavery is an abomination, but unfortunately it wasn't limited to the United States. And I don't want anyone to take from what I'm saying that there's somehow an excuse for it. But what does need to be understood is context. Things always need to be placed in proper context so that we understand what we're really talking about. There was a time when slavery was universal. It goes back to the Bible. The Jews were among the first slaves. So this wasn't an American or a British invention. Does it make it right? Absolutely not. Is it scurrilous and immoral and you add whatever adjectives you want? Absolutely. There is zero justification for slavery of any sort, period. Full stop. Nothing further needs to be said. Did the United States have slaves? Yes. Was it right? No. But did it end? And the answer to that is yes. Now, you know, people always seek redemption. Think of how many people get arrested for crimes and they go before the parole board asking to be paroled. Please let me out. I've reformed. I've changed my ways. I understand what I did was evil. Whatever. And the optimists among us will look at a person's criminal history, perhaps, and say, well, you know, this guy seems to have reformed himself. He seems to have come to understand that what he or she did was wrong, illegal, evil, immoral, whatever the crime. And people are let out of jail and given parole, maybe put into a work program. Uh, We do something so that we don't trash their entire lives. We embrace them and welcome us, welcome them back into society so they could live up to their potential. We're at our best when we're able to do this, provided, of course, we are able to modify the conduct of even those people who are charged with and convicted of crimes. Of course, very often so-called correctional facilities fail abysmally at the idea of correcting. But the point is we all understand that people seek redemption. And it's it's an appropriate way to try to do things with people that you think can really be made to no longer pursue their criminal careers, if you want to call them that. But to have some newspaper like the New York Times, which used to be, used to be the gray lady, this, this bastion of journalism, supposedly that so many people believed in, and I have big issues with the New York Times going back to their failure to properly cover the Holocaust during the Second World War, which I thought was, Uh, I don't even know what the words are for that one. This holier-than-mighty New York Times that buried article after article about the Holocaust and the concentration camps refused to print it, and finally when they did, they buried it at the back end of the newspaper. This bastion of morality that's going to lecture America and Americans about what's moral and decent. The newspaper that didn't have the guts or the integrity or the morality to report on the Holocaust when it was happening. That's who the New York Times is. Again, I say, you'll have a fit from what they print and perhaps what they don't print. But now they are up on their high horse, hopefully not on a statue, and they're saying, well, if America began with slavery, because to them the starting point for America was August of of, uh, 1619, not July 1776, They have declared that America can't be redeemed, that every American is evil, 
and that America perhaps doesn't deserve to exist. I mean, you have to look at the logical conclusion. I guess they believe in capital punishment if it's a country, our country, your country and my country, ladies and gentlemen. Slavery has been outlawed for how many years? And it was America that liberated the world. It was the French who emulated our American Revolution, and in fact, their flag, the tricolor, the three colors, instead of calling it red, white, and blue, they call their flag blue, white, and red, not coincidentally. <clears throat> we were the role model for the world, flawed as we were, flawed as we continue to be. But to have a newspaper say that we're never going to forget that there was slavery if it was simply as a lesson, a cautionary tale, I agree. We do that with the Holocaust. What do we always say about the Holocaust? I'm a Jew. My grandmother was killed in Poland because of our religion. Many of her family members were wiped out. My first wife's family were in concentration camps. So never again, absolutely, there must never again be a Holocaust. Notwithstanding that China, by the way, has concentration camps for ethnic Muslims, over a million people, according to reports. But the New York Times probably doesn't want to talk about that because they want to attack America. America was the country that led the charge for global freedom. America is the country that rushes to help other countries, even our adversaries, in a time of crisis. We are the world's 911. We show up with our aircraft carriers and turn them into hospitals turn them into places where we can help people that have been, whose countries have been ravaged by revolution or volcanoes or tsunamis. It's American ships and American personnel who show up first on the scene. America is simply stated the world's first responder. I am proud to be an American. I don't buy into white privilege. I buy into American privilege. It's a privilege to have been born in America. It's a privilege to become an American citizen. Warts and all, I defy you or anyone out there to point to a country with a better track record, a country that gathered so much military power and might but used it for good purposes, not evil purposes. This isn't about world domination but about world freedom. The globalists, of course, don't like that idea because it's America and American sovereignty that thwarts their plan for global governance where people can be moved around the world like chess pieces, just like you see with foreign workers, whether they come legally or illegally. You want to talk about slavery? Go visit a sweatshop. I saw many of them in the United States, and they exist all over the world. That is certainly a form of slavery. You want to talk about slavery? Let's talk about human trafficking and sex trafficking. That exists to this very day. And the federal government of the United States' primary agency responsible for investigating and tracking down the scum that engage in human trafficking and in sex trafficking is ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a division of ICE called Homeland Security Investigations. Isn't it remarkable that the same people who scream about slavery at the top of their lungs are the same people who want to see an end to immigration law enforcement? I find it remarkable that a woman in Congress, Alexandria the barmaid, some people call her AOC, but I refuse because AOC, those three initials, reminds me of perhaps JFK or HST, Harry S. Truman, some truly great presidents. Alexandria the barmaid rails about corporate welfare. I've got to tell you, I actually agree with her somewhat. She complained about the fact that Amazon was getting away without paying taxes. Now, you may disagree with me, ladies and gentlemen, and that's what freedom of speech is supposed to be about. Here's my take. If the corner delicatessen or the corner cleaning store or the luncheonette um, has to pay taxes, so should every company in this country pay taxes. I'm tired of hearing about too big to fail and too big to jail. You want to do business? Pay your share. And don't tell me you're creating jobs for people. You're not doing this out of the kindness of your heart. If you're a company, you're hiring people because you need them to get the job done. That's why you hire people. This isn't charity. So I agree. 
all companies should have to pay their fair share of taxes. Hate to have to disagree with her, but Alexandria is right. But if she wants to jump up and down and scream about corporate welfare, let me tell you what the biggest example of corporate welfare there is. It's the employment of foreign workers in the United States, and not just illegal aliens, but aliens who come here with visas because they displace Americans, they accept lower wages, and they'll accept conditions that Americans wouldn't tolerate. Workers from the third world, even when they come with visas, don't get nearly as good a deal as Americans would have gotten if they didn't have to compete with foreign workers. And it's really remarkable because if you look at what Alan Greenspan had to say, and I was hard-pressed to get Republicans as well as Democrats to go after Alan Greenspan had to say. It's absolutely remarkable. Let me read something to you about Alan Greenspan. He testified for Chuck Schumer back on April 30th, 2009. I was so pissed when I watched that hearing streaming live on my computer. I was on a radio show the next day. I was a regular on this program. And the young lady whose show I was a guest on knew that I have a slightly twisted way of articulating my ideas. I always think that a little bit of humor doesn't hurt. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, you know. And she asked me, what did you think when you watched Greenspan testify at the behest of Chuck Schumer at the Immigration Subcommittee over in the U.S. Senate? And I said, you know, I realized I was witnessing a first. And she said to me, you know, Mike, I know you long enough and you've been on my program long enough that I'm probably walking on thin ice if I ask you what kind of a first was it. She said, but I'm going to be brave today and I'm going to ask you, what kind of a first was it that you witnessed when you saw Greenspan testify? And I told her it was the first time I'd ever seen anybody testify before a congressional hearing who was suffering from rigor mortis. I detest Alan Greenspan. First of all, he explained how it was great to bring in undocumented, unauthorized workers. He said, yes, it minimally suppresses the wages of Americans, but in the whole, we we make more money this way. And And he admitted that it would even cost municipalities a lot of money, but the corporations will do okay. Do you know what you call an American who earns minimum wage, who suffers wage suppression? They get a new title, folks. We call them homeless. We call them homeless. But, of course, when you're Alan Greenspan and you have a mansion in the Hamptons, what do you know or care about homelessness? Not your problem, is it, Alan? But then he went on and talked about the H-1B visa holders. I want to read this in its entirety to you because I want to know how the Democrats, who claim to be concerned about Americans and American minorities can brush aside what Alan Greenspan thinks about American workers. If you take high blood pressure medicine, take your pill now, avoid the rush later. This is infuriating stuff. And the Democrats and Republicans are all on the same sheet of music. The only exception here is pretty much Donald Trump. Well, there's a couple of members of Congress. Let me correct that. Jeff Sessions, when he was a senator certainly was diametrically opposed to Greenspan and was infuriated by it. If you listen to Senator Tom Cotton, there's a few who are opposed to this. But there's not enough who are opposed to this. And if you want a litmus test, I remember when abortion became the litmus test for candidates running for office. I have a litmus test. It's simple. Do you think it is moral and reasonable and proper that the United States government turns a blind eye to foreign workers displacing American workers, or perhaps worse, facilitating the entry of such workers, whether they come illegally or they come with visas, don't you think Americans should get first shot at the jobs? Now let me read to you what Alan Greenspan had to say. This is April 30th, 2009. In fact, you know, I'm looking at this. Maybe I should read his whole testimony. I want you to pay attention because you'll see how he deals with the issue of illegal immigration and the damage this does. Let me just get a sip here. Forgive me, folks. And the damage that this does to America's working poor also. It's really great when you live in a mansion and, and you can make these condescending statements about Americans who struggle to get by on a day to day basis. You want to talk about elitists. Well, this piece of work is at the top of that heap, that deaded heap of elitists. 
These, these words now will be Alan Greenspan. Don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. Immigration to the U.S. slowed markedly with the onset of the current economic crisis. Again, this is 2009. But as this crisis fades, there's little doubt that the attraction of the United States to foreign workers and their families will revive. I hope by then a badly needed set of reforms that our immigration, immigration laws will be put in place. There are two distinctly different policy issues that confront the Congress. The first is illegal immigration. The notion of rewarding with permanent resident status those who have broken our immigration laws does not sit well with the American people. In a recent poll, two-thirds would like to see the number of illegals decrease. Now, I'm going to interject here. Everybody gets it. Americans want this nonsense to stop. If this was truly a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, it would stop. That's what a democratic process is about. And I know there are those of you who are shaking your head and saying, Mike, it's not a democracy, it's a republic. You're right. But this republic is supposed to put the well-being of its citizens ahead of all else, and it does not. We're lucky if we're third or fourth on their list of considerations, first, of course, being the people who pay them off, the campaign contributors, the euphemism for bribers. But let me continue. But there is little doubt that unauthorized, that is, illegal immigration, has made a significant contribution to the growth of our economy. Between 2000 and 2007, for example, it accounted for more than a sixth of the increase in our total civilian labor force. The illegal part of the civilian labor force diminished last year as the economy slowed, though illegal still comprised an estimated 5% of our total civilian labor force. Unauthorized immigrants serve as a flexible component of our, of our workforce, Offered a safety valve when demand is pressing and among the first to be discharged when the economy falters. Again, I have to interject. If we got rid of the illegal alien workers, we would reduce unemployment by 5%. That's what that statement is. Think about it. Think about it. Think about how fixated the economists are. You know, every evening the stock market is up, the stock market is down, the Dow Jones is sideways, and everyone's holding their breath. 5% of the labor force shouldn't be here. And believe me, those are jobs Americans would do, but we'd have to pay them a living wage. Don't tell me about inflation. I'd rather see a little bit more or pay a little bit more to buy the things I buy and pay less in taxes and see Americans live a better life than plunge our wages through the floorboards at the behest of corporations. Because, again, folks, this is corporate welfare for the Democrats out there stick this under their nose and say to them that this is corporate welfare, something they claim they oppose, baloney. This is corporate welfare of the worst kind because it's destroying wages and jobs and opportunities and indeed the American dream for Americans, particularly among America's working poor and Americans of color. Don't tell me that you want to help Americans out and then go along with this crap. This is damaging America our citizens, the future of our children, it's undermining everything we believe in. This is not a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. This is pretty obvious, isn't it? So when you have those discussions with your neighbors and they tell you that Trump is wrong, and I'm not telling you Trump is always right. I've got big issues with him sometimes, especially his Twitter account. But goodness gracious. Everyone understands what Americans want, and they thumb, they, the people in power, thumb their nose at us because we don't count. Money talks and BS walks, and we don't have money. So what we want is no longer any concern of theirs, with a few, again, exceptions. Greenspan went on and said, some evidence suggests that unskilled illegal immigrants, almost all from Latin America, marginally suppress the wage levels of native-born Americans without a high school diploma and impose significant costs on some state and local governments. Significant costs, okay? Not insignificant, but significant costs. The CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, did a study about that, and you'd be amazed. Just educating children who can't speak, read, or write English costs 20 to 40% more. And when you flood schools with alien children who shouldn't be here, that's lots of kids being educated And we're paying for it. And by the way, then you hear this nonsense. I hear it all the time. Well, Mr. Cutler, don't these immigrants, quote, unquote, a.k.a. illegal aliens, pay taxes? And they do. 
They're 100% right. They go out and they buy a pair of sneakers and they pay sales tax. So they buy chewing gum and maybe they pay sales tax. But if you're making 30000 a year, and if that much, and if you're working on the books, how much tax are you paying on that? It probably costs 30000 a year to educate a child in our public school system. Do you think they're paying all of their money to that? And what about health care? What about all the other benefits they get in sanctuary cities? So please ignore this nonsense. Oh, they pay taxes. Yes, maybe they pay $1,000 a year in taxes, or maybe they don't pay taxes. Maybe they get that earned tax credit, and the IRS doesn't go to the home country where they claim to have these children, so they actually get money from the federal government instead of paying income tax on April 15th, or this year it will be July 15th. So in that case, no, they're not only not paying taxes, but they're making withdrawals from the IRS. Don't you wish you could do that? But we're hearing this nonsense, but they pay taxes. Sure thing. They pay taxes that amounts to maybe 5% of what they cost us. And this isn't an anti-immigrant comment that I'm making, folks. But I want to get to the truth so that the American people can make proper decisions and vote for the candidates who truly represent the best interests of American Americans. What a novel thought. It's hard to find those candidates. They're out there, but you've got to keep digging. And that's why when people contact you and say, I'm running for Congress, you ever notice there's no phone number, almost never a phone number where you can even talk to these people? Send them a comment. See what they say. Tell them immigration is the key issue. It impacts national security and public health, public safety, jobs, wages, the debt, education, the environment, critical infrastructure. They don't want to hear that. Try it out. Take it for a test spin. Reach out to them and say, you want me to support you? I'll support you. Where is your position on immigration? Nail them down. And I don't care if they're with the hopping kangaroo party. When I listen to Joe Biden say that he wants to legalize all the illegal immigrants, but he's going to get better jobs for Americans, let me tell you, I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine. You know, years ago, as I mentioned, Jeff Sessions came to take my words that I used in a piece for the, New- for the Washington Times when I called Comprehensive Immigration Reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act because there'd be no way to interview these people, let alone do field investigations. We'd have no way of knowing when they came here or even who they are. A disaster. But the number that no one talks about, we hear about these 11 million illegals, it's probably 30 million. Even many universities now admit that there's probably 25, and I think it's well over 30. So my question for you, but this is not like the what color is George Washington's white horse question. Everyone asks that question, and everyone laughs. But if we legalize 30 million illegal aliens, how many green cards would we give out? How's that for an interesting question? If the United States government was stupid and corrupt enough to have a massive amnesty program that gave 30 million illegal aliens green cards, how many green cards would we issue? Now, I know you're sitting there saying, boy, this guy Cutler has lost his mind. He just said 30 million. Isn't that the number? No, it's not the number, folks. Sit down, fasten your seatbelts. And uh, put that tray in front of you in the upright and locked position. Here's some turbulence for you. What is never discussed, just like when we hear about the disastrous Reagan amnesty, well, we almost legalized 4 million. We legalized almost 4 million, actually. Did that backwards. Everyone thinks that's the number. That wasn't the number either, because you know what we're not taking into account? And this is a dirty secret from the fake news people at at the Ministry of Truth. Every alien who gets legalized has an absolute right under the law. You can't say no to them, nor should you when you think about it, I guess, if we're that stupid, to petition the federal government to immediately bring in their spouses if they're not already here or give them legal status if they are. And each and every single one of their minor children. So if a guy had a kid with three different women, doesn't matter. He's the father. If he has 12 kids, they all get green cards. Do the math. I'm going to be an optimist. You know, third world families tend to have lots of kids. I've actually heard of families because of this business of of, of men being married or being involved with other women. One guy drove a cab. He was from Africa, told me he had 19 brothers and sisters. I kid you not. 
Well, you know, think about it. If that, if their father or their mother became, you know, legal, they could all come in. This guy was was an American citizen at this point. But understand the numbers we're talking about are through the roof. So let's be optimistic and say that on average, each alien who gets legalized will only, quote, unquote, only bring in three minor children. That takes into account people who have no kids, people who brought their kids here already, um, whatever, people that don't want to bring their kids here for whatever reason. So I'm going to be an optimist and say, suppose that we legalize 30 million and they each, on average, bring in three children each. Do the math. 90 million children will, within a matter of a year or two, be lawfully admitted into the United States and placed on a pathway to United States citizenship based on the fact that their illegal alien parent is given lawful status. They will immediately overwhelm the schools. We will need housing for them. We will need food, electricity, water, sewage. If you want to talk about the environment, let's remember that every person in the country, whether they're here as tourists, whether they're here permanently, whatever, have an ecological, environmental footprint in America. They need water and food and electricity and sewerage and transportation and hospitals, and the list goes on. If you legalize all these people, we wind up with 90 million kids. They immediately go to the schools. Many won't speak English. Go back to the Congressional Budget Office study that said 20 to 40% surcharge to educate these kids, money that should go to working with American kids with learning disabilities, autism, and that sort of thing. That money's going to go away. Forget it. Because that money will be used on English as a second language. American kids with autism, too bad. You're out of luck. Why is it that compassion never applies to Americans? I wish I had a magic wand. And, you know, the, the beauty queen, they always tell, what, what's your platform? And this 19-year-old girl in platform shoes gets up and says, my platform is to end world hunger. Well, that's great. I wish I could do it. I wish I had a magic wand where I could wave it in the air and everybody would be fed. I wish I could drive by every hospital and wave that magic wand and send everybody home completely healed. I would rather have that magic wand, folks, than millions of dollars in cash. Because if I knew that there was such a magic wand, I would feel that I would be immoral if I took money over that magic wand. I truly mean that. I've lost too many people in my life to cancer when they were way too young. If I could drive by those hospitals and make everybody well so they could all go home, boy, oh, boy, I'd really be the richest man in the universe. But that's not going to happen. We have to deal with reality. And the other side tries to paint this as evil when we say, wait a minute, we're a country of finite resources. But I'm going to get into that momentarily. But I, I just want to finish up the Greenspan statement. But I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And I want you to understand that the way you need to approach your neighbors, if they're willing to sit down. And, and by the way, if you have a neighbor or a friend or someone you've been friends with for a long time and it seems as though someone stole their brain and suddenly they're off in Never Never Land and you don't understand why they have their crazy views, please don't be angry or frustrated with them. You probably were attracted to them years ago when you first became friends because you realized that they were decent, compassionate, moral wonderful people and they still are they have been lied to and they've been conned and swindled just as certainly as the people who gave their fortunes to Madoff were they disagree with you because they have been spoon fed lies and propaganda and they came to accept those lies as the truth and they don't understand the issues and we need to help them understand it but not by being condescending or nasty and without being angry, because there's nothing better than someone who is compassionate towards other people. Compassion is one of our strongest, you know, attributes. Don't turn that attribute into something negative. The bad guys have. They've weaponized our compassion. But people need to understand the issues for what they truly are. It's doable. Trust me, I've done it. Have conversations and always ask appropriate questions because questions rattle around in people's heads forever they'll be waiting at a red light and those questions will pop into their mind they'll be taking a shower those questions will pop into their heads but let me continue on so he said that 
this is Greenspan, said that uh, imposed significant costs on some state and local governments, huge costs, okay? And then he said, however, the estimated wage suppression and fiscal costs are relatively small, and economists generally view the overall economic benefit of this workforce as significantly outweighing the costs. Accordingly, I hope some temporary worker program can be crafted. Yeah, the hell with the American poor people who will have less money. Wow. Astonishing. But then this is where he gets to the high-tech workers, and this is really infuriating. Again, this is Alan Greenspan, the former chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank. Witness for Chuck Schumer, Chucky boy. The second policy issue that must be addressed by Congress is even more compelling, the even more compelling need to facilitate the inflow of skilled foreign workers. Our primary and secondary school systems are increasingly failing to produce the skilled workers needed to utilize fully our ever more sophisticated and complex stock of intellectual and physical capital. This capital stock has been the critical input for our rising productivity and standards of living and can be expected to continue to be essential for our future prosperity. Interesting. Our future. Who's our? Does he have a mouse in his pocket? What does he mean by our future prosperity? Think about that question. He's not talking about the middle-class workers, and you're going to see that in about three minutes. So he says that um, to utilize full air, ever more sophisticated and complex stock of intellectual and physical capital, this capital stock has been the critical input for our rising productivity and standards of living and can be expected to continue to be essential for our future prosperity, as I, I just mentioned. The consequence of our educational shortfall is that a highly disproportionate number of our exceptionally skilled workers are foreign-born. Two-fifths of the science PhDs in our workforce, for example, are foreign-born. Silicon Valley has a remarkably large number of foreign-born workers. And why is that? Because they have fired the Americans. <laughs> That's the dirty secret he's not telling you. Schools are deficient. Why aren't they doing something about the schools right now? Not five years from now. And if you lower wages, no one's going to want to go to those schools and waste their time anyway, as you'll see, because that's really what this goal is about here, folks. Keep listening. Again, Greenspan. The quantity of temporary H-1B visas issued each year is far too small to meet the need, especially in the near future, as the economy copes with the forthcoming retirement wave of skilled baby boomers. Yeah, we can't push them out the door fast enough, right, folks? And he went on and said, as Bill Gates, the chairman of Microsoft, succinctly testified before Congress in March 2007, quote, America will find it infinitely more difficult to maintain its technological leadership if it shuts out the very people who are most able to help us compete. He added that we're driving away the world's best and brightest precisely when we need them the most. Folks, the world's best and brightest have a name. I call them Americans. And then he says this. And this is really the crux of the issue. Our skill shortages, I trust, will ultimately be resolved through reform of our primary and secondary education systems. But at best, that will take many years. An accelerated influx of highly skilled immigrants would bridge that gap and, moreover, carry with it two significant bonuses. You tell me if you think these are bonuses. Wow. Bonuses, right? Here it comes. First, skilled workers and their families form new households. They will, of necessity, move into vacant housing units, the current glut of which is depressing prices of American homes. And, of course, house price declines are a major factor in mortgage foreclosures and the plunging value of the vast quantity of U.S. mortgage-backed securities that has contributed substantially to the disabling of our banking system. No, it was actually Greenspan subprime mortgages. So you have homelessness, empty houses, and what's the solution? Bring in foreign workers to live in the houses. Sure thing. That's bad enough. But this is the one that really put me through the roof. See what this does for you. Greenspan then says that the second bonus of flooding America with foreign high-tech workers, right, the second bonus would address the increasing concentration of income in this country. In other words, someone's making too much money. Who might it be? You think it's Greenspan? You think it's Gates? You think it's Zuckerberg? You think it's Bloomberg? Uh-uh. Here he goes. The second bonus would address the increasing concentration of income in this country. 
Greatly expanding our quotas for the highly skilled would lower the wage premiums, in other words, wages, of the skilled over the lesser skilled. Skill shortages in America exist because we're shielding our skilled labor force from world competition. Quotas have been substituted for the wage pricing mechanism. And in the process, we have created, and you're going to love this term, folks. These are Greenspan's words, not mine. We have created a privileged elite, privileged elite, whose incomes are being supported at non-competitively high levels by immigration quotas on skilled professionals. Eliminating such restrictions would reduce at least some of our income inequality. So in other words, what is Greenspan saying? If we could flood America with foreign workers from the third world, we could displace American workers, we could drive down wages among these highly skilled, highly educated, and highly qualified people, and so we narrow that gap between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills, and that's how you have wage equality. So that the guy that gets out of high school or doesn't even graduate from high school would not make much less than the guy with the Ph.D. That's what happens in a communist country, folks. So when they talk about a minimum wage of $15 an hour, what they're really talking about, believe it or not, is a standard wage. So you have all these kids who are out there rioting. God only knows how they were raised or what their parents taught them or what values they've acquired or how they've been brainwashed by their teachers. Because let's remember how much money is being pumped into universities in the United States by China, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, possibly Russia, Iran, all of our close friends. Um, and so the board of it, the, the um, Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, has opened an investigation. They, they've identified at least so far $6 billion that have not been reported by key universities, MIT and all these other great universities. Uh, why do you think they're sending us this money? To help educate American kids? No so they can control curriculum, syllabus, and faculty, so that we've turned our universities into brainwash centers. That's what's happened to our universities. Then you have these kids out there ranting and raving, the New York Times talking about the 1619 Project. America can never redeem itself because it once had slavery. So meanwhile, we're importing slave labor in a very real manner of speaking. We don't care about American kids. We don't care about American children living in poverty, particularly in American minority communities. Let's flood America with illegal aliens. They can do the work Americans are too lazy to do, according to them. And we'll bring in all these people from overseas because they'll do the the high-tech work. And God knows these Americans are demanding too much money. Greenspan told you they're the privileged elite. Their wages aren't being forced upon them because there's no competition. If we made them compete, we could lower that wage premium. So let's kill the middle class and let's promote communism. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. You have kids out there that think socialism is a solution. You know, there's only two ways to motivate human beings or even uh, animals that we train, the carrot or the stick. In capitalism, the the, the, the carrot It's simple. You work harder, you get a better job, you're supposed to make more money. Of course, Greenspan's going to try to get rid of that carrot, isn't he? So if there's no carrot, how do you motivate? By the stick. If you look at history, Stalin killed tens of millions of Russians, sent them off to Siberia. He ruled with an iron fist. You look at China. For all the screaming about fairness and equality, and we're all singing Kumbaya, why does no one talk about China's concentration camps where they have sent over a million ethnic Muslims to be, quote-unquote, retrained. Retrained. Sounds like the concentration camps of the Second World War, almost. I don't want to uh, diminish the significance of the Holocaust. But my goodness. So for all the screaming about how unfair and we had slave owners, look, I'll tell you what. I've always wondered as a kid, and I'm from the North, I know there are some of you in the South, and forgive me, but again, as Americans, we have the right to question. I was always kind of curious about the notion of erecting statues to commemorate the soldiers of the South who fought against the North, who tried to split the country in half. Where I come from, that's treasonous conduct. I understand that there was a disagreement. I understand that the South wanted to secede. 
We get that. That's part of history. And we should be teaching history. You know, where the Holocaust is concerned, we say never again. Well, how do you make sure it's never again? You teach it. I don't ever want them to tear down Auschwitz. People need to see what that hellhole looked like. You don't erase history because if you do, you're going to erase the lessons that history should have taught us. You see? But to get, then again, as um, one of my favorite authors, George Orwell, had to say, the most effective way to destroy people is to de- deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. And then he said, who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. So you rewrite history, and you can do anything you want. It becomes a novel instead of a, a, a memorialization of that which actually happened. You can't learn from history if you refuse to study history. Um, Sir Winston Churchill was perfectly clear about that, and he was right. And he was copying things that philosophers who came before him had to say about the necessity for the study of history. Should the statues come down? Okay, let's have a referendum. Let's vote. This is called a democratic republic. You don't take law into your own hands. You don't settle disagreements by going out with a gun and shooting people, and that's what we're seeing across the country. And what's so remarkable to me is how the fake media, the Ministry of Truth, as I call it, is lying through their teeth. And so we had an article that appeared on AOL earlier today. It was an Associated Press article. And here's the headline. Tapping into crime fears, the GOP conflates mayhem with protest. The GOP conflates? Really? Did you see what happened in New York? Did you see what happened in Chicago? Did you see what has happened in Washington, D.C.? Those were peaceful protests? setting fire to the church? How many agents from the Secret Service and Capitol Police were injured? How many New York City cops were injured? Cars were firebombed? But this was a fantasy? They are shameless in their lies. Let me begin reading to you from this crazy article. Washington, Associated Press, apocalyptic images of blazing buildings and window-smashing protesters pop up on the TV screen as a caller to a 911 emergency line reaches voicemail. The computer office to take reports of rapes, murders, or home invasions, adding, our estimated wait time is five days. The 30-second ad by the President Donald Trump re-election campaign ends with, quote, you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America blazing across a flickering hellscape. It blames a push by some progressive activists to defund the police as, a viol- as violent crime has exploded. And it goes on and says, with recent shootings that have killed children and dozens of other people in cities with large black populations like New York, Atlanta, and Chicago, the GOP is trying to play offense ominously. Ads like Trump's and other Republican messaging insinuate that the rare looting, rare looting, wow, and violence that marred largely peaceful, largely peaceful, Social justice protests are spreading and foretell a wave of mayhem that they claim Democrats would abet with anti-police policies. This news article should be filed in the category of science fiction. When your neighbors read this, and maybe they're not from New York City or Chicago or Atlanta, and they haven't been watching the news media willing to show what's happening, maybe they actually believe that nothing happened. There's nothing to see here, folks. Just keep on moving. Joe Biden is crystal clear. He wants to raise taxes, which means that people will have less money. Um, and we could argue the economics of this, but the notion that we're going to legalize all the illegal aliens would end America as we know it. This isn't a statement of xenophobia, folks. So America's poor will remain poor. Drugs will continue to flow into the neighborhood. The only way to make money will be by breaking the law. You saw that in Russia with black markets. They couldn't be capitalists, so they resorted to a black market. Is that what we want for this great nation? Joe Biden needs to be made accountable. But none of the journalists are going to ask him, how many aliens do you think are going to wind up getting green cards if we're stupid enough to do what you're suggesting? And I want you to think of an analogy because I like to use analogies because I think that through the use of analogies, we get better understanding of key issues. You know, I began studying astronomy in the third grade, and in order to wrap your brain around the size of scale and time and speed and so forth, you have to use analogies. If I tell you that I drove to Washington from New York and it took me five hours, you would say, sure, he was going about 55 miles an hour. It's a 250-mile trip. That makes sense. 
But when you look at the stars and you realize that stars can be thousands or millions of light years away, galaxies can be billions of light years away, meaning that the light has been traveling for a billion years or two billion years or whatever to come to the to come to us where we see it now, so that the stars you're looking at may not even exist anymore. It takes quite a bit of mental gymnastics to begin to focus your brain so that you can wrap your head around these concepts because they don't deal with everyday experiences. The challenge in having conversations about immigration and other issues like this is to create an analogy where it makes sense. When I helped Arizona, when uh, they were being sued by the Obama administration for the enactment of SB 1070, the Arizona immigration law, uh, in my deposition, I made the point that for the first four years of my 30-year career at the INS, I was an immigration inspector where sitting in that booth at Kennedy Airport, I had my eye to the peephole on America's front door because that's what immigration is about, making certain to not let people in who would do harm to us. <clears throat> All the screaming about the border walls, the wall of hate. <clears throat> Understand something. The border wall is not designed to keep anybody out of the country. That's right. It's not. You may think that you misheard me, and you did not. The border wall does not block off ports of entry. I compare the border wall to the velvet rope at the bank that guides you to the next available teller. The reason for the wall is to make sure that people don't hop over the border without being inspected, vetted, so that we don't allow terrorists and criminals in. As I said when I was in Fox and Friends first last year, I asked them a question. Let me ask you the question. Would you get on an airplane if you saw some of the people on that airplane sneak past TSA? I doubt it. And they sure as heck reacted pretty strong to that. And then I said, well, if you wouldn't get on an airplane, if you saw people sneaking past TSA, why in the world are we being forced to live among millions of aliens who snuck past a very similar vetting process we conducted ports of entry for very much the same reason? And it's remarkable that Chuck Schumer proposed legislation a couple of years ago that would make trespass on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a five-year felony under federal law. He talked about how dangerous trespassing was. He even suggested on his official U.S. Senate website that a 16-year-old boy who had been caught trespassing on the World Trade Center under construction to take a selfie should go to jail for five years. He said, I don't care if you're an adrenaline junkie or a criminal. If you trespass, you're doing something dangerous, and we need to put you in jail to deter other people from doing this. Why, then, is jumping our border not seen as being at least as dangerous as trespassing on a bridge or, or a museum or some other um, national landmark or critical infrastructure? I want to ask you a question. Think about this analogy. Have you ever put together a birthday party or a wedding or an engagement party or a bar mitzvah or a confirmation or some other joyous celebration, a, a graduation party, you know, before COVID, obviously, you know, got a social distance. Have you ever put a party together and then sat there and said, gee whiz, I have all these people that I would love to invite, but my house isn't big enough. Or I would love to have all those people come over, but how in the world can I pay to feed so many people? And so you start to knock people off the list. You say, well, Charlie's a good guy, but I haven't seen him lately, and I think his daughter got married. They didn't invite us. So I guess we can cross Charlie and his wife off that list. And, and, and Bob is a good guy, but I don't know. Okay, so we're going to... Well, do you hate those people that you've taken off the list? Or are you just looking at the limits that you have so that you can have a party and not have people eating bread and, and, and drinking water? You know, we have finite resources. America has finite resources. You can put so many people on an airplane. You can put so many people in a lifeboat before it capsizes. You can put so many people in a bus. You go to a restaurant that tells you occupancy by more than so many people is illegal by order of the fire commissioner because if it's too crowded, people can't escape if, God forbid, there's a fire. So there's a world with limits. Now, I know the naive don't understand limits, but that's why they're in trouble. But if you don't invite someone to your birthday party because you just don't have the ability to invite everybody, it doesn't mean you dislike them or you hate them. It just means that you're coming to terms with the fact that you have a limited capacity to invite as many people as you would like to. Is this any different? If we can't find work for everybody and we don't have hospitals to care for everyone, think about the concerns about overloaded emergency rooms. If classrooms are overflowing and we don't have the money to hire more teachers to help American kids with learning disabilities, don't you think? that maybe we shouldn't be bringing in all those people. 
when you get on an airplane, they only have so many seats. You don't shove all the people you can in the airplane, and so it's so heavy it can't take off. America, ladies and gentlemen, is not unlike that airplane or that lifeboat. It's a country, as we're finding out to our chagrin, a country of limits. To suggest that we don't bring the whole world here isn't a statement of hatred, but a statement of love. Love for the lawful immigrants who've come here and love for Americans who hope to live a decent life in their own country and provide a good future to their own children. So when you have Biden and these other politicians saying we're going to legalize 30 million people, not telling you about the tens of millions of children that would then be immediately entitled to come here or their spouses who would immediately be entitled to come here, you would wind up with the cost of housing going through the roof. You would wind up with wages falling and workers being displaced. And you know where that takes us? Homelessness. Look at those homeless encampments around the country. Ask yourself, is that a demonstration of an act of love for those people who are homeless? Ask them why they're homeless. Yes, some may have mental illness, some may be addicted to drugs, but you're going to find that a significant number of those folks were priced out of housing because they lost their jobs and they lost their ability to pay rent or pay a mortgage. Our government's immigration policies helped to put them out on the street because we're being compassionate. Are we really being compassionate? I look at how desperate people are. They want their share of the American dream. I look at all the upheaval that's going on. And if ever there was a time when we needed to restore law and order to our streets, create a safe environment for our children, provide economic opportunity to the next generation of Americans by making certain that Americans would not be displaced by foreign workers, then you need to understand the true significance of our immigration laws to get the criminals off the streets, to get the drugs off the streets, and even those people who would compete unfairly with American workers. The Labor Department used to run the immigration service prior to the Second World War. President Roosevelt, the Democrat, understood that if he was going to get America working after the Great Depression, we had to make certain that only Americans got the jobs. And Roosevelt was the guy who said, if you have enough work for people, that you have to pay them for overtime. Don't pay them for overtime. Hire another American. And that's how the 40-hour work week came about. Today, President Trump is saying we've got to make sure that Americans get the jobs. He's ended, at least temporarily, the H-1B visas and practical training for foreign students. And the Democrats are screaming about it. It used to be the Democrats who were the champions for immigration law enforcement. who was no less a leftist than Bernie Sanders, who in 2006 made the statement that illegal immigration was destroying the middle class and it needed to stop and people who hired illegals should be prosecuted. Harry Reid, as a new senator, stood on the floor of the United States Senate and spoke out against birthright citizenship for the children of illegal aliens. He said it makes no sense that you could come here illegally, have a child, and that child is an American who could then file a petition for you. He wanted an end to birthright citizenship. He didn't want amnesty. He said it's insane to give people any benefit if they shouldn't be here in the first place. And then they sold us all out. The Republicans wanted the cheap labor, but the Democrats at least years ago stood for immigration enforcement, and now it seems as though things have flipped. And just last year, three really bad immigration bills sailed through the Congress without a hearing and without the media reporting on it. Why am I not shocked? You know, there's a great saying that, or a great question that asks, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? The better question is, if there's no one willing to report on the fact that the tree fell, do the Americans know that it fell? We've got to really pay attention. We have to have conversations with our neighbors, and we have to base those conversations on facts. I suggest you end discussions with your neighbors with a question, not with a statement. Because a well-phrased question, for example, the one I used on Fox, really gets people thinking. If you wouldn't get on an airplane, if you saw people sneak past TSA, why are we being forced to live among millions of aliens who snuck past a similar vetting process at ports of entry? That's a great place for a conversation to begin or end. Please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. I hope you'll be joining me again next week here on the Michael Cutler Hour, but meanwhile... Please go to Team DML. 
consider joining. I do podcasts at DennisMichaelLynch.com, DMLNews.com, and I'll see you again next week. Have a great weekend.